Hey, I'm Shana G and this is my final episode of 2023. And I'm going to be honest with you, this now marks, I think, episode 12 of Flip the Switch. And it may not feel like loads, but I've been posting out a new episode every single Friday, rain or shine, sometimes working at the last minute to get it out, but always trying to come through, give you the goods, share the message every single week. And I'm doing this because I made a pact with myself. I wanted to be a bit more consistent this year. And I feel like if I'm going to grow this, I want to do it properly. I'm super passionate of like spreading this multi-hyphenate movement to the world. And I probably took on a little bit more than I could chew because doing it properly meant you know, two cameras, a proper studio, making it a video podcast, not just audio, having a new guest every single week. So coordinating that. And that's been a real hard learning because if I'm going to do it this way, I'm going up against podcasts who have, say, a team of three to four people that are doing and producing the same output, right? And it's hard because a team of one to produce that every single week on top of all the projects I juggle and my freelancer, it's, it's difficult. So today is going to be about celebrating the best bits of the episodes, the things that I've heard from the amazing guests every single week, and what I believe that we should all take into account in 2024. So it's a bit of a compilation episode. I kind of love these. I feel like they're going to be more more regular now, basically taking the gems from the episode and putting it into a theme. So I want to take you back to the launch of the podcast. It kind of still feels like yesterday. It was a sweltering day in summer and I was so nervous to launch this podcast. I was so nervous that I actually forgot to eat. I probably had like one drop of water that day, but I was just so focused on everything I needed to get done. I had to pick up equipment. And so there was a lot to do before that first guest arrived. I also kind of dipped my toe into like live recording that day, you know, like make it easy for myself and do the first ever proper episode with a live audience. Like (laughs) I decided to make it really, really hard for myself. And so I had like 10 seats basically um, in the studio and just wanted to keep it quite chill. Like anything more than 10, like could feel like not that intimate anymore. And so 10 people turned up, like over 10 people, actually people were trying to get in um, once the recording had started and it was just so amazing and kind of confirmed for me like the reason why I'm doing this because people are so interested in this philosophy they don't feel like they're alone anymore and that is exactly why I'm creating this I've also created a whatsapp group this year I thought it was really important to like find and create a safe space for everyone to kind of connect and it's been amazing like now people actually can connect with like-minded multi-hyphenates and not feel embarrassed when they kind of answer the what do you do question, which is exactly why I'm here and why this exists. For this episode, you're going to kind of hear a range of clips of different episode guests. And the overall theme that I really want to focus on today is the inherent drive that I see in every single guest to just do it. Like, It's not about the money. It's not about fame. They just want to help people and do what they love to do. And it's this pursuit of putting whatever you put your mind to that you can do it. You don't have to worry about it being perfect. And it's going from, I really love doing this to actually, that's who I am. And this is me. And being so unapologetic about who we are 
is what we're all about here. So I'm a huge advocate for it. I used to get so embarrassed kind of introducing myself as like a presenter, a DJ, a social impact investor, an entrepreneur, a marketeer, because people are kind of like, okay, like there's a lot going on here. And so chatting to guests who are just embracing that and doing so well in it as well is amazing. So you're going to hear from people like Bedalia, who created an amazing, unique personal brand of being a doctor and a DJ. Tash, who is a recent guest, actually, she's a very good friend and a great example of actually pivoting, turning from a pharmacy career on its head and basically becoming a travel content creator in a matter of a year. Tam as well, content creator too. She now has 700,000 followers um, in just a year, which is absolutely wild. And the rest I'll basically put in the show notes. You can skip to specific areas if you really want to dig right in. So going into 2024, I want you to back yourself. This is something that I feel like I've really struggled with this year. You know, when we see Spotify wrapped and everyone's minutes listened, if I was going to have my my own, like a Shana G wrapped, it would be like 10,000 minutes doubting myself. I overthink a lot and I'm like, is this the right thing for me? But doing this podcast has absolutely helped me. Hearing from these amazing guests has built the confidence on my side as well. And so I really want to help you now do exactly the same posting out an episode even every week like it's just exploring it's like without reaching and thinking about a destination and every single week getting that a little bit better so i hope you enjoy make sure you subscribe and follow us on socials at flip the switch club let's do this When did you realize then it was time to like create the Black Wellbeing Collective? Was it after like a years of experiences or like, or was it was something that was always in your mind that you were going to do one day? Mm. Was there like a particular moment that you were like, this is happening, this is what I'm going to do? That's a good question. Because I only knew you from the point when you had the idea. Yeah. So I didn't actually know the, the before, the pre, the pre BWC. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I felt like something was happening. Something was in the air. Something was in the water. Mm -hmm. Because I remember before the pandemic, I quit my full-time job. I was working in a product development company at the time. And I quit based around, yeah, certain things I, you know, I didn't agree with, um, with in discriminatory treatment. So I quit and I didn't have a job. And I was finding myself a lot. But one thing that I was very drawn to was social impact and social justice. Now, I think it was over years of certain experiences. But one thing that I think was really important was the healing of these experiences, because I think in equal measure, it's so important to call this stuff out. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find enough spaces where there were healing tools or coping mechanisms. Not that we should need, not that we should have these coping mechanisms because they shouldn't be occurring essentially and you know there should be more quality but essentially mm-hmm. I did not see enough spaces that reflected compassionate valid validating and healing spaces for people who look like me mm-hmm. so when Black Lives Matter um, kind of the protest started in 2020 I remember having my own fair share of anxiety attacks during that time and frantically looking for a healing space. That's when I needed the healing space, but then it was like mm. the stakes were even higher that I was like, okay, I really need, I need a space 
of ease and okay. I need a space of comfort. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't find one. So I decided to make one myself. So to create it yourself. Yeah. And that's what good founders do. Thank you. <laughs> find a problem, solve a problem. Solve it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks. And so then I guess at the beginning it was very different to where it is now. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just tell me about that journey? Because I think sometimes we can glamorize like founding businesses yeah. and how easy it is to you've just got it you know you wake up one day you've got the idea boom and actually it's not how it works you yeah. go through quite a difficult process yeah. of understanding what it is testing things out failing so many times so many times <laughs> and like how was that process for you for figuring it out because I feel like you have got to the point where you're in a very good space yeah with the Black Wellbeing Collective thank you yeah. and so yeah how's it been so I feel like the journey of developing and growing the Black Wellbeing Collective started, I say, at the workshop and trial phase. But there's one thing throughout the entire journey, it has had ups and downs on burnout, which we'll touch upon maybe mm -hmm. a bit later. And also, my lived experience is very closely attached to the work I do. Mm -hmm. That comes with emotional and yeah, emotional safety and also psychological safety as well for myself. It also comes with ensuring that I take care of myself because if I can't take care of myself, how am I supposed to give to the community that I'm serving? So all of these things kind of came up as time went on. But if I had someone to tell me mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly, hey, just so you know, during this process, you're going to you might experience these things. Mm -hmm. Make sure, you know, you put things in place in order to look after your well-being. Yeah, that would have saved me a lot. But at the same time, I needed to go through that in order to understand and work it out for myself. I know there was something to do with Tomorrowland that you can tell us more about. Is that yeah. where it was at university? That was a turning point. Okay. My whole life. Cool. Um, I was DJing in my bedroom or my house party at uni the first couple of years and I'd never played a gig in public um, and then during my third year med school exams I entered on Mixcloud some a couple of competitions a bit naughty I should have been studying but I thought I can't not enter these <laughs> I didn't tell my parents obviously I was like I'm gonna enter these and see what happens um, I entered a national one which was cool that was the the prize was to DJ at the house of commons oh, wow. with Carl Cox if you want it the uh, Carl Cox. The okay. Carl Cox, yeah. Interesting. That was the prize. I, I got to like a like third place in a regional heat. So not, not very far, but I took on the feedback. Yeah. Next day, I saw one run by Tomorrowland on Mixcloud and I thought, I have to enter this. Like, what are the chances? But you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I use exactly the same mix, um, but I took on the feedback from the event the day before. Um, and bouncing across these charts for a, like a few weeks a lot of anxiety because I knew that out of the top 50, the final 20 get flown out for a final. Oh, wow. That's all I knew. And I wanted to make sure I finished high enough so that I'm within their yeah. top 20 mm -hmm, out of mm -hmm. the 50. And did you have your exams during this? Uh, <laughs> I entered the mix during the exam period. Oh my gosh, yeah. wow, okay. I remember being like, yeah, I remember it. I really this is serious by day, by night then. Yeah, actually, no, I, was, I was doing this in the day when I should have been studying. <laughs> So this is all day. This is all day. Okay. <laughs> There's no studying at this point. Um, and then, yeah, I finished at number four on the charts. I got a phone call from, no, I got an email from Mixcloud being like, can we have a passport details? And a, and a headshot. Oh my God. Like, okay. So I went onto campus, got my friend to take a photo of me in front of one of the buildings. Um, <laughs> and then 
in your scrubs or no no, there's no scrubs then <laughs> no i wasn't a doctor then oh okay yeah Free and then scrubs. <laughs> it turned out it was the final i got picked up at an airport in barcelona by ferry as you do in tomorrowland style had my own driver it's crazy <laughs> um and then it was a fight like the final over three days it was networking so you had to really set like find a way of connecting with people um, you were interacting with your competition and a lot of them were really established DJs with huge followings, residencies, and I had none of that. I was bedroom DJ. Yeah, the final couple of days later was on a, on a yacht and I won. Oh my gosh, yeah. okay. And then um, I played at Tomorrowland. <laughs> How but, did, it, were you just, it must have been so surreal. Yeah, I've not really spoken about it because everything, happened so quickly wow uh, but i remember that night it was just like the tomorrowland team the, st- the stages are insane yeah the stage designer who's this eccentric guy was there and you had to like, win him over the guy who like books the artist was there lost frequencies as a major dj yeah, yeah, yeah he was an ambassador for it and he picked the winners as well like the just people across the industry were there and the sponsors were there mazda sponsored it mixcloud were there and yeah it was just too much to handle but in a good way we went out for a party and then I just left and I just lay on my bed like, what's going on? I lay sideways because the bed was that big. <laughs> <laughs> so like, taking you back to that point, what, what do you think was the reason as well? How you got that? Do you think it's like, because it sounds like you were networking as well. Yeah. Like you were being you and like, a, like authentically yourself. Yeah. And like to win like is incredible. And, but like you sound very humble in okay. who you are which I think is an amazing thing like you DJ Tomorrowland like you're just like <laughs> casually like DJing Tomorrowland so tell us more about how that feeling was there were definitely intentional parts to it yeah and then the unintentional parts and mm. I think these things were what helped me win so intentionally and this is the, probably the doctor part playing in like the strategic part I made a spreadsheet I looked at who was being flown out as finalists mm-hmm. I think I searched on Mixcloud and I just looked at all the announcements I literally listed all their numbers down like what uh, like the followers they had mm-hmm. um who their audience are how they dress the type of music they play and out of those 19 people there were similarities and I thought you can't really distinguish these people so where where can I be a bit different so I looked at, like my pool of music and I focused in on the the style that I was loving at that time that was different to all the rest of the guys they were all playing the same same style of music more or less there's a yeah. lot of overlap there was mm. nothing that really cut them, set them from the rest so that was one thing. That was something intentional I did. Um, and that sorted the music out. And then unintentionally, I wore a pink shirt, like a bit of a nerd. <laughs> I don't know what you wear as a DJ. So everyone else wore bl- black tops. Did they? Yeah, and I was wearing the pink shirt. Boring. Time, like, okay. Like a really, yeah, like doctory pink shirt. I don't know what I was <laughs> um, okay. That's the photo of that. And that was one thing. And then I think, again, another intentional thing was like everyone want, everyone's there to win. But ultimately, it's people making the decisions. Mm. So be seen to and create real relationships with everyone there. The people behind the scenes, because they're making the decisions, not just the ones who are on the face of it. So I remember getting on the coach for the first time and there was a man sat at the back who was a bit old, like much older than everyone else. But all the young guys for the DJs were talking. I went and sat next to him and mm. talked to him. And he was the guy behind the whole marketing campaign. So that was intentional as well. Um, and then you just genuinely get to know people. Try and understand what they want. Yeah. And they'll tell you. And if they know that you're serious about it, that means something to them. Yeah. So that, that was, yeah, another... So it was part. like a mix of... Because you have to ha- be strategic. And I think that doctor side really helped you. Yeah. In that sense, like, 
Yeah, like love a good spreadsheet. But then I, but then I love talk. <laughs> I love meeting people anyway. So I would yeah. have, I, whether that I had that intentional part, I would have been there just to have a great time and yeah. meet people. But does that not help you define your brand as well? You were early at that point yeah. and understanding, okay, they're all going that way. I'm going to go this way and try this, what I'm enjoying. But there was no doctor and DJ at that part because I still wasn't yeah, a doctor. I was yeah. still a DJ. You're very early. Studying medicine is halfway through. I couldn't say I'm going to be this, but I had to try mm. and find those little moments to try and, be a bit different yeah but then at the end at the end of the day it was out of my hands it was their decision how did you learn those skills to be a content creator I know you said that you're playing around with the camera so you were very creative from kind of day one but did you have to just get stuff out there and kind of I find with content creation you have to let go of perfection and it's a really really difficult thing because you sometimes feel like embarrassed that you know, your neighbor's going to see your yeah. content or whatever. How did you learn to kind of um, become a good content creator? And also what does a good content creator mean to you? So I already had that foundation of knowledge with recording and editing. Yeah. And when it came to launching my YouTube channel in 2020 and recording my first video, I couldn't let go of that perfectionism. I recorded that first video, which you can still watch just to get mm. to know me q and I have seen it. <laughs> was really good that was my third take I recorded the video start to finish edited each and every one Mm -hmm. and still did it again um that took me two weeks to even get that first video Mm -hmm. out and that's okay like it was part of the process but I realized what did that really get me Mm a few hundred views okay well maybe if I spent that time practicing recording more content pushing it out I could grow at a faster rate and I just heard so many other successful people talk about it in their stories that you have to let go of the perfectionism. It's just another form of self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. You think you're doing yourself a favor and you're really not. You're really not. So I, it really coincided with my personal journey with confidence as well and letting go of other people's opinions. And you people I went to uni were watching it and my family. And I was like, I was starting to develop this sense of self-belief where I knew where I was going to be. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to give up the perfectionism. I was like, as long as I get a video out every single week, it's fine. And I learned on the job. I made certain mistakes. I would constantly rewatch my videos from and try and put myself in someone else's shoes and think, mm-hmm. is that really interesting? How can I improve? Then I got into scripting my videos and that process evolved with time as well. So it was like a learn as you go. Yes. Were you trying to do the whole like get 1% better like each time? Basically, yeah. Because it is so difficult because you just want to get to the end process, don't you? Yeah. You just want to be like, I want to be good. I want to be up there. But you have like, it's that that process where you learn so yeah. much. Um, how about like leaning into who you are? Like, did you find it hard to like be yourself on camera or um, I guess like having a camera in our face? I know we have it a camera in our face right now, but it can be difficult mm. to like be yourself completely um, when it doesn't feel natural. Um, how was that journey of being kind of confident in front of the camera as well? I feel like most people can see it with that first YouTube video. I was very timid. Mm. And whereas if you watch one of my recent uploads, I'm like very in your face, very energetic. I talk like a hundred miles per hour. Um, Because I think I was also just still figuring out who I was then. Mm. And that went on for a long time. I don't think it was until the beginning of this year that I actually started being fully authentically myself. And that matched with this time frame where in January, I thought I've been stuck on 2000 subscribers for three years and Mm -hmm. something needs to change. Mm -hmm. If I'm not getting the result I want why am I still doing the same thing every single day 
So I made a whole strategy on how I was going to do SEO and thumbnails and editing and the structure of my videos. But also I had to look inwards at how I was presenting myself. Um, And I think I looked a lot at my idols and who I enjoyed watching and why I enjoyed watching them. It's because they had these bright, passionate personalities. And I knew I had that within me, but I was trying to be too cool. So I had to kill that part. And then that's what led. So this year, how much did you grow then? So in January, I was at 2,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And today in November, I am at 700,000 subscribers. Oh my gosh, wow. So that was you leaning into your true self. Yes. And when you did that and like showed it to the world, people relate, which is amazing. But like, it's so hard. Like in a way, we are just holding ourselves back. Yeah. And how did you like overcome that though? Like you stripped... Like, was it that you just had to strip like any self-doubt away and just say like, I am who I am. If you don't like me, don't like me. Did that lead to kind of negativity at all? Or like, like that process must've been quite difficult. Like going from Mm -hmm. 2000 to 700,000 people watching as well. I think it came from a lot of ambition. Like I was Mm. like, this is what I want to do now. I know when I sit down to film, I actually enjoy this. So if I want to make this into a career, I have to give it my all. Um, I experienced a lot of self-doubt I have my entire life and that was definitely a journey I remember I was like really it was this time last year November 2022 I was really struggling with my self-doubt and Mm -hmm. I was learning about inner child healing and being kinder to yourself because I was critiquing myself with every move and this was such a turning point for me I found a picture of myself at like five years old I put it stuck it up on the wall in my bedroom I'd see it every day and every single time I was about to criticize myself, I would catch just a glance of it and I would stop myself. And just that is so small, but it became a habit every single day where all of that negative self-talk was finally shifting out of my vocabulary. And I was starting to trust myself more and be like, actually, you can do it. And you are that girl. I've got a 34, 30 bucket list. And on there it says become TikTok famous, which is a bit cringe. <laughs> so I'd kind of wanted this for a while now and like yeah I'd always thought oh, I'll just make a TikTok you know to share my experience to help other people to share my tips and tricks but I didn't expect it to kind of blow up to the extent that it did so yeah I yeah know. just an idea but I think as well it's like worth saying like in your nature as well like you've got all the skills already like you're a big planner in terms of itinerary oh, you sh- huge, you're yeah. like you share tips anyway you share your travel stuff like you're very good at like taking and capturing content so it was like one of those things that wasn't monetized yet I feel yeah I just needed to put it all together like I was always the person where any big trip everyone would always come to me and ask for advice like if they were going to Southeast Asia or something like that they'd always ask me so it's just a case of yeah sharing it I guess online yeah to the world and I think that is like quite scary but like it was amazing that you found a format that works and like tell Mm. me about that how you were like testing on what you were posting and then like the first few videos that you started to realize that something was working yeah I think it wasn't I remember I posted my first I started posting on TikTok about a month before my big trip like I had it all planned out and when I hit a thousand followers in 10 days I was like oh my god like this is crazy I was like oh thousand followers um but it wasn't really until I got to New Zealand um about two weeks into my trip I started posting my daily vlogs so every single day I was being consistent with TikTok and doing my vlogs and for some reason like New Zealand people like loved me like it blew up like each video was like getting so many thousands of views and people were like really interested in like my journey and my experience which was so lovely especially like a lot of New Zealand local people and again that's when I started to, a few people like recognized me as well and I was like oh my famous but yeah and then I did a couple videos that actually went viral so I did a McDonald's review 
love, love some Maccas in um, New Zealand because there's a McDonald's inside of a plane. Did that and that blew up. It's got like two and a half million views now. Whoa. Yeah, well. <laughs> and it did lead to an article? Did it yeah. Not? yeah. I which mean, is the, cool. I can't remember what it is. The star, there's two, like the star and something else. I'm in the paper because of that. Um, yeah, so I had a couple of viral videos. So then I hit like 10,000 followers. So it just kind of kept on growing from that, I guess. It kind of started from there. You founded like this daily kind of vlog style. Yeah. Was working. And was it like, how did you find it? Like juggling, just being a traveller, like in general trying to immerse and then also filming at the same time. Was it easy? Like, how did you find it in general? No, it is so hard. It's literally like full-time job whilst you're traveling. Mm. And everyone would always say like, how do you do it? Like I've tried to do it, but I think it's just something I was so passionate about and something like I really, really wanted to do. And I just made it work. Like even if it meant like taking like just finding time within a hostel like mm -hmm. every morning just trying to find a little bit of quiet area just to do a voiceover or like spending there was so much time spent on buses and things like that so I would just make sure that I did it any chance I could if you're like dedicated to something you'll make it work either way but I think the hardest thing though can be sometimes consistency like with just anything like any habit we have it can be really difficult to like show up every single day mm. is there anything that you found really helpful like say if someone today I don't know is like very early in the start of their journey and they're looking to create you know a travel blog or whatever mm. or a brand in general like a personal brand whether it be a fashion or whatever what would you recommend them doing because social media can be something that people really struggle with mm, in general yeah and you've it's really like come easy to you which is amazing and like they'd love to hear your tips <laughs> i was thinking this as well i was like i don't actually know like why me like why i blew up but um definitely consistency like i've literally posted every single day pretty much since i started a year ago and just making sure you're just everything is crisp like making sure that hook is like really good i just see so many videos where they're just like um, um like you just need mm -hmm. to be quick and snappy and also providing value every single video needs to provide value to make sure that people are like are saving it sharing it for a reason you're not just kind of doing it any videos for the sake of it the flip of that was i had a full-time job at the time i was working for transport for london doing just like a standard office management admin yeah, role yeah. but that took the heat off it meant that i didn't have yeah. to make money and the reality is when you're putting on gigs you know, the first gig was for 70 people and it happened for about a year and then it got bigger and bigger. And it's still relatively small scale. But what it meant was we were um, creating spaces where both the audience and the artists all knew they were coming in for, this, for the same reason. Okay. Um, and we got quite lucky. We um, supported some really big artists from early um, Ed Sheeran was one of them. Mavic Sabre was another. We did a collaboration with Akala in 2010 with his hip hop Shakespeare company. Mm. Um, and in, I think it was like 2011 or 2013, we mm. were working with Kay Tempest at the Ramshack at Glastonbury. Mm. You know, all of those took their own trajectory. And so what ended up happening and me being particularly kind of proud about my ability to talent scout, because I, I came to a place before Lyrics Organics where I had a conversation with a friend in the music industry and I was like, do I put on events or do I do A&R? Okay. And I, I, I often quote this to him and he, he regrets saying it now, but <laughs> um, he said, if you want to retain the love of music by going to gigs over and over again, don't do A&R because at some uh. point you'll just get burnt out from it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I'll put on events. Um, and as it evolved in 2011, we got um, our Glastonbury 
first Glastonbury Festival stage, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a partnership with MSF. Mm -hmm. um, 2013, we got given our own stage, which was called the Bum Shack. Yeah. And whilst all of that ha was happening, we did um, kind of an outdoor tour of like 23 dates for London 2012, where mm -hmm. we did this immersive kind of crazy poetry, beatbox, um, live music um, kind of immersive experience in Westfield and in Victoria Park and mm -hmm. outside the Lyric and Hammersmith and all kinds of places. And then we started to realise quite quickly that the work that we do transferred quite seamlessly to education. Oh, wow. And I had some yeah. really great friends um, within the organisation who performed with us a lot, who were already doing a lot of teaching and a lot of working in youth centres. And they were like, you should just come down with us um, and see what you think. And I was like, I don't think I can teach. Like, I don't think I have anything to say. Like, yeah. what am I going to do? Um, and long story short, I realized that actually there was a space for me. And actually what I had to offer was very different from what other people mm. had to say in those spaces. And once I could conquer things like that fear of being in a room with people who uh, are either out of control or yeah. maybe not paying attention to you, once you got over that, um, I was in the pocket. And so I haven't looked back since. And so ultimately now Lyrics Organics is both an education company doing work with the Roundhouse or around the world with British Council or Carball Citizens or yeah. whoever, as well as an event company. And it's quite curious as a business because... Frankly, we don't make loads of money and certainly mm. the events don't make us lo loads of money, but they are our kind of loss leader, which is very visible, mm. which brings people back to our kind of education programs. Right. Um, and that's where the majority of our income and expertise lies at the moment. Oh, what an episode. It's so nice to hear from amazing guests as always. Everything is in the show notes for you to listen back to if you want to hear from our specific guests. I sit down with them for 30 to 40 minutes, really getting into the nitty gritty of every single part of their life and their learning. So definitely do that. And give us a follow on at Flip the Switch Clubs on socials. Join our WhatsApp community and we'll be back in 2024 with a new episode every single week. So can't wait to see you then.